Welcome to Wildwood College Life of Wildwood Community Church in Norman. We are four following Jesus together to the glory of God. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9.45 for Bible teaching, breakfast, and fellowship, and would love to see you there this week. Follow us on Instagram at Wildwood College for more information. And with that, let's dive into this week's message. Welcome to College Life. Glad you all are here this morning. My name is Kevin Schoep, and I am the college pastor. Each morning, we're going to have coffee and breakfast for you, and hopefully, as we gather, you guys are able to follow Jesus into His Word and into community. So, if you guys have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to Revelation. What? Revelation? We're starting a new series on relationships, but with a twist. Not just romantic relationships. We are talking about singleness this morning. But we will also be talking about our relationship with friends, our relationship to work, and lastly, our relationship to romance. So if you have your Bible, go ahead. Revelation 19. Revelation chapter 19. Beginning in verse 6, and then we'll, and then we'll pray. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out hallelujah for the Lord our God the Almighty reigns let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready it was granted her to clothe herself with pure with fine linen bright and pure for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints and the angel said to me write this blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these things are the true words of God. Let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we, as we open your word and just listen to what you had have us here this morning, God, that you would give us a humble spirit to receive it by faith. I just pray for every single student in this room who, Lord, may be stressed by school, may be uncertain with relationships or friendships, maybe feeling at uh, a sense of uneasiness. God, I pray that you would just protect their souls, that they would run to you in their distress and their stress, that they would cast their anxieties on you because you care for them. And Lord, that as we open the word today, God, that you would change us by your Holy Spirit, that he would make these truths scream in our hearts, that they wouldn't just be mere theological ideas. They wouldn't just be knowledge to be learned, but that they would be truth that would nestle into our hearts, that we would be changed by the glory and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray all these things, recognizing that you are the one who does the work. Lord, use us as your vessels, your ambassadors, and let us bring you glory through our words, our actions, and the way that we love one another. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, well, I'm excited to be with you guys again. It's been a few weeks since I've been able to be up here and open God's Word with you, but I want to spend a little bit of time talking about relationships. At this point in the semester, we just had Valentine's Day. It's on the top of the noggin for everybody. And believe it or not, I was a college student like you once. I know, you're like, Kevin, I don't know, that hairline is receding. But it is true. I used to be a college student, 
And I remember the pull of dating in college. There's two conversations that you have every single week. Number one, with your parents, why are your grades so bad? And number two, with your friends, oh, who are you interested in? You know, who are you talking to, whatever, whatever. And dating isn't bad, but man, does it seem like it is the most important thing, right? Our social media, The Bachelor, all of these things basically press upon us that dating, relationships, it's the most important thing. And today we're going to be talking about our relationship to singleness. And before we begin, I want to share a story of what God can do with singleness. And if you're in this room and you don't have a ring on your finger, this message is for you, even if you are in a dating relationship. So with that being said, let me share this story. To talk about singleness, I want to talk about the most famous, one of the most famous modern Christian spouses. That's right. I'm beginning a talk on singleness by talking about a married woman. Her name is Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth was married to the missionary Jim Elliot, who was seeking to evangelize to primitive native Ecuadorians. And Jim and his fellow missionaries, missionary brothers Nate Saint, Roger Yaudarian, Pete Fleming, and Ed McCauley were all killed by the natives they were trying to reach. After this, Elizabeth writes the Christian classic, Christian classic Through the Gates of Splendor. And just a couple years after her husband's death, Elizabeth, her young daughter, and Nate Saint, one of the other missionaries, his sister, Rachel, learn the language of the Waudani tribe and travel into the jungle to interact with them. So in 1960, just four years after the Waudani tribe had killed Jim and his companions, through the, the ministry of Elizabeth, her daughter, and Rachel Saint, many in this tribe accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. Just looking at the facts, they go from murdering her husband She learns their language, goes to them, shares the gospel of Jesus, and through her ministry, many have their eternal destinies changed. Elizabeth's story doesn't end there. She continues writing and speaking about their miraculous conversions across the country, and she shares the story of Jim and his companions. And finally, she remarries in 1969 and continues her ministry. So what is the point of this story? Why am, I, where, why am I sharing a story of a married woman? Well, I just want you to look at how God used her widowed singleness. Elizabeth didn't just stay complacent, but was moved and called by God during her time of singleness. She learned a primitive language. She left at the drop of a hat with her daughter and another companion, and ultimately God used their faithfulness to bring a mass conversion of the Waodani people. The main point of today is the main idea of this story, and that is the gift of singleness is unburdened devotion to God. Today, don't we treat singleness like a disease to be cured, rather than a gift to be cherished and leveraged? Isn't it true that reality dating shows treat marriage like the ultimate reality of existence? Isn't it true that every major pop song, it seems to be about unrequited unrequited love? 
Isn't it true that the biggest story of this year is Travis Kelsey is dating Taylor Swift? We are obsessed with this idea of love and we are bombarded with ideals that dating, romantic love, and sex is the ultimate thing to be sought after in life. Today, I hope that all of us in this room can change our disposition towards singleness and be proactive in soaking up all of God's intended blessings for this season of life like a sponge. Because the Bible only has two relationship statuses, married and unmarried, or married and single. If you are not married, then this message is about, about singleness relates to you. Singleness, as the Bible describes it, is a gift because God designed singleness as a temporary external state. And because of that, we must treat it like a gift to receive all its intended blessings. And we're going to look at this today by looking at three things. Number one, how singleness is a gift. Two, how singleness is strategic. And number three, how singleness is temporary. We'll discover these truths by looking at two main passages, 1 Corinthians 7 and Revelation 19. And in 1 Corinthians 7, or the entire book actually, Paul is writing to a pretty debaucherous society where there's just especially sexual immorality all around. And in chapter 7, Paul makes a transition to start to deal with issues directly related to their society. He kind of begins the, 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 the chapter in making that turn. And what he's going to be doing is dealing with problems that they've expressed to him. Whether, you know, how, how does, is sex just evil? Is divorce, when is that okay? When is it not okay? Marriage. And he also writes to fathers whose daughters in that day and age had meet, met the marriageable age and were getting older and they were concerned. And so, Today, we can learn from Paul's teachings. Paul gives us this wise counsel surrounding these, these issues related to the Corinthians, but they also relate to us today. Particularly today, we're going to be looking at the verses addressing the unmarried. So let's begin in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 7. So if you have your Bible, let's turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So where we're going to hang out in the first part of today. Beginning in verse 7. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Notice in this passage that Paul calls singleness a gift. He looks back at his own life, at his own context, because he is referring to his singleness. We know this because he goes on to describe what those who are unmarried should do. It is a gift. Paul himself was single at this time in his life. Throughout the rest of his ministry, he would remain single. So he is writing not as a married person, but someone who is unmarried. Now I want to point out that being married or being single are external states. Some have tried to argue that this is only talking about those who are called to have a life of celibacy, but by the context, it seems to be talking about the circumstances about being either married or being single. So what he is talking about is to anyone who is unmarried. So our first point is that singleness is a gift. For those of us who are single in this room, that's heavy. Because we look at it more like handcuffs. 
having conversations with college students. They want nothing more than to be married. It's a dream. It's a life goal. So why wouldn't God give you what you want? Because he is a sovereign God and he has you in a season for a reason. There is a purpose in singleness. It is not just an external state that we suffer through, but it is an external state that God has a reason and intention for. He goes on to say in verse 8, To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to stay unmarried. Paul will go on later in this chapter why this is good, but first we need to really soak in the fact that it is indeed good. First of all, God is the giver of all good things. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. So, if this is a gift from God, then we have to conclude that it is indeed good. And what do good gifts need to be do? What do we need to do with good gifts? Well, first of all, we need to cherish them. When we cherish a gift, we celebrate it, we value it, and we are excited about it. When you cherish God's gift, you, ex- you value that which God has already given value. It allows us to align ourselves with God's value system. And this disposition helps us not only accept the season of life that we're in, but also opens us up to steward it. In other words, we are entrusted with something and we manage or care for it. When you look at the story of Joseph in Genesis, he receives divine dreams about a famine that is to come. And so what does he do with this gift of knowledge? Does he just like journal about it and say, man, that was really cool. God really likes me. I got a vision. No, he uses it to glorify God. He stewards it and cares for it. And Egypt, and he, and he talks with the Pharaoh and he's like, hey, we need to put away this extra grain. And they are blessed by it. Eventually, a famine comes and not only is Egypt blessed, but so are the surrounding areas. God has given us gifts, not only to cherish, but to care for. He has entrusted each of us with gifts that we are to steward and manage, not for our own self-interest or our own self-glory, but to bring glory to God. So we need to change our hearts. We don't always view singleness as a gift. Kind of like how different adults and kids react differently to gifts at Christmas. I'll share a little story. So when I was a kid and I received clothes, this was my reaction. Okay, I was like, what am I going to do with this? I've got all these clothes in my closet. Why do I need more? Now, as an adult, this is, my, this is my reaction when I open clothes. Because I'm like, yes, I don't have to spend money on this. Yes, this is valuable. This has utility. Nothing is worse than putting on your jacket and it is too small because you put on a few LBs since college and you walk outside and it's zero degrees. But when you have a, a jacket that fits, that is warm, that you put on, you value it, you cherish it, right? So we can't forget that singleness is a gift. We need to change our disposition toward it so we can be less like the kid who's unhappy with this awesome gift and more like us as an adult. So what changes between those two situations? We understand its value. We understand its value. So what do we do if we don't view singleness as a gift? Well, first, I want to ask you guys all a question. If you're just folding your arms, looking at me with a scowl and saying, Kevin, you're married. You don't get my life. Man, I was the most single college student. 
okay? I know what you're going through. So I want to ask you guys this. Are you wishing away your current season of life? Or are you asking God, what are you trying to teach me in this season of life? And this is relevant to everyone. Am I wishing away my current season of life? Or am I asking the question, what are you trying to teach me in this season of life? It is the human experience to wish away the present. But don't you guys realize that God might have something for you in this season? You might be missing out on its blessings because you're wishing them away. Singleness is not only a gift, but it is also a strategic opportunity. Singleness is strategic. Paul goes on later in chapter 7. He takes some time talking about divorce and all these different things, but then he starts to address the widows and the unmarried. And, and verse, 32, verse 32 is where I want to pick up. So this is through 34. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. So this passage compares the burdens of the external state of marriage. There is an inherent difference between being married and being single. And not only is there another person involved in marriage, but by golly, there is another person involved. Things change when you get married, okay? When you get married, you marry another person. Another person who is as broken as you, as sinful as you. So not only do you have to make sure you're okay, but you have to make sure your partner is okay. When you get married, something happens. Your problems, they double. They double. You're not just concerned about what you're going through, but you're also concerned about your partner. And that's what Paul is highlighting. There are countless, countless blessings in marriage. I am so happy that I'm married, and I'm so grateful that God has given me that gift. Paul also describes marriage as a gift. The author of Hebrews says marriage is to be honored by all. And if you desire marriage, that is good. That is good. But Paul is trying to emphasize that singleness allows a person's yes to be unhindered and always on the table. They are not burdened by the responsibilities that they assume as a married person. See, the meaning of singleness is, the purpose of singleness is to glorify God with undivided, unhindered devotion. When you get married, some things change. You have another person to consider. Husbands and wives assume responsibilities. And then you have kids. Another blessing from God, absolutely. But, again, more responsibility, more burdens. So what does this mean for those who are in dating relationships? This would be my advice to you. If you are in a dating relationship, don't play married. A relationship is meant to discover if you can marry that person. And once you have your answer, propose or break up. If you're not able to propose now, then maybe you shouldn't date. Because if you are playing married, then you are unable to treat this single season of singleness as God intended. If you are acting as if you are married, even though you're not, what you're doing 
is you are robbing yourself of the strategic opportunity and the freedom that you have as an unmarried person. You are living your life burdened when you have not yet covenantally assumed and promised those responsibilities. The biggest gift of singleness is the freedom that one possesses. But I want to emphasize this very, very, very clearly. This freedom is not meant to bless you. This freedom takes away all distractions to devote to God, not to fill your life with distractions. You don't stay single to pursue your dream career. You don't stay single to build your finances. You don't stay single to go on fun trips. That is not the strategy of singleness. The strategic gift of singleness is unhindered freedom, not to do what you want to do, but to do what God wants you to do. You leverage your singleness to devote to God 100%. Your yes should be on the table for however he wants to use you. And then you'll start to see the blessings. So let's talk about this at our tables, these first two ideas, and then we'll come back in about seven minutes. All right, guys, let's get back together. So we're going to be in Revelation 19 the rest of the day. So if you guys want to go back there. One danger that can happen when talking about the benefits and goodness of singleness is it can sound like I'm saying that it is better than marriage. And I just want to say clearly that you can glorify God both in marriage and in singleness, okay? So there is not one that is inherently better, but Paul says it is truly a gift. Now, I know some of your sensors went off whenever I said that, when I previewed my point earlier, that singleness is temporary. But scripture points to reality for believers that is encouraging both for single people and married people. And that's that singleness is indeed temporary. For believers in Christ, our ultimate hope in life is not to find the perfect spouse, to to start the perfect family, to have the Instagram page that is aesthetically pleasing, to have all the money in the bank. Those are not the goals of life, but that's what social media wants to paint. For many, we will, for many in this room, you will get married. And if you do, I am praying that you would honor the responsibilities and the burden that comes with being married. There's a beautiful picture that the book of Ephesians in chapter 5 paints for what marriage is intended to be. The purpose of marriage is to be a sermon without words. In particular, it is a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. There's a reason why there isn't just one gender, but there's a reason that there's two is that God has designed men and women perfectly so that we can complement one another to paint this beautiful tapestry, this beautiful picture about the relationship between Christ and the church. Now, if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. Because when we look at Scripture, there is intention behind God's design. There is intention behind it. Now, to the world... It is to be a a sermon without words. It is to clarify and and communicate the glory and majesty of what Christ has done for the church and the church's loving devotion to Christ. The filter for a God-honoring marriage is one that depicts Christ and the church. Not finding our soulmate, not finding the perfect match, the perfect balance, the perfect relationship roles, but to paint the picture of Christ and the church. And the reason for this is so significant. It is so significant that this is the purpose of marriage because no one will be married to their spouse in heaven. Yes, singleness is temporary, but so is marriage. 
Matthew 22:30 describes this heavenly reality like this. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. In heaven, angels don't have spouses. Similarly, resurrected believers won't have spouses either. Why is this? Well, we have to look at the, how the Apostle John describes his revelation from God about the re- relationship resurrected believers have with Christ. Revelation 19, verses 6 through 9, I want to read it again. Hopefully, second time through, it will really rest on your spirit. Let the word speak to you as I read it. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So in this passage, Christ has returned. He has begun his eternal eternal reign. And the Lamb here is a reference to Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, as John the Baptist said, right? The Lamb is Jesus Christ, and His bride is a reference to the church. Frequently in the Gospels, Jesus refers to Himself as a bride, or He is referred to as the bridegroom, and the prepared bride is the resurrected church and their glorified bodies. So here in the eternal state, what is the reality? Well, We will not be wed to our earthly spouses, but be united in the realest and most fullest sense to Jesus Christ. This isn't romantic love, but it is a love which all other love is derived. It is pure. It is unadulterated. It is untainted. It is the love of Christ. And we will be united to him in the most perfect, realized sense. The idea of union with Christ is is all throughout the New Testament, all throughout Paul's letters, describing our relationship with Jesus Christ. And I had one volunteer describe it to me like this. When we trust in Christ to save us from our sin, we are united to Him in a way that is indistinguishable. Can you say that word with me? Indistinguishable? Indistinguishable. When we are united with Christ, we are indistinguishable with Him. When the Father looks at us, He sees Jesus. If you have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of sin, not only has your slate been clean, but you are united with Christ. You are united with Him. You are so united with Him that it is indistinguishable. And and she, she goes on when I'm talking to this volunteer, and she says, you know, it's like Play-Doh. When you mix two colors of Play-Doh together, and you mush it together, and you squeeze it together, and you roll it up, what happens? What was once two colors is now one indistinguishable color. And that's what it's like when we're united with Christ. When that happens, you can't tell which is which. Colossians 3, 1-4 is one such passage that talks about our union with Christ. He says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is. See it at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. 
For you died and your life is now hidden. That's that idea right there. Hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This is referencing what we just read in Revelation 19. We will appear with him in glory. So to bring it full circle, this passage describes these things as if they were a reality. And our union with Christ is truly that. But our union with him has not yet reached its fullness. In Ephesians 5, marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. And the picture of marriage is but a shadow of our future union with Christ. That is a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful thing. That every picture, the, the, the best marriages is but a shadow, but a shadow of our future union with Christ. And the union with Christ that we have in a spiritual sense will be realized in a physical sense. We will see him face to face. So the trials and sufferings that you might be going through in your singleness, look to that hope. Friends, look to that hope. We will be united with Christ. We will be with him. We will see him face to face. See, every believer has been single at some point, but more beautifully, every believer will be married at some point. We will be united with Christ. So what do we do with the realities of singleness? If singleness is truly a gift, if it's truly strategic, and if it's truly temporary, what should we do? Well, we must face the reality that some will be called to singleness for life. Some will desire marriage and it will not happen. And some will only be single for a period of time. But the responses for each one of those persons is the same. Leverage your gift and put your hope in your future perfect union. That is the same for each and every one of those persons. Because God designed singleness as a temporary external state. We must treat it like a gift to receive all its intended blessings. And this is something I didn't say earlier until now. Until we are perfectly united with Jesus Christ. Isn't that so exciting? Let me pray for us. Dear God, I pray that as we discuss these ideas, we would just be in awe of the glory and majesty Lord, how you have designed things so perfectly to bring you the most honor and glory. I pray that our lives would contribute to that glory. I pray that we would be concerned in building your kingdom and not our own. That we would be concerned with devoting our lives to you wholly. And Lord, that you would give us the peace of knowing that the union that we have with Christ, the picture that marriage is in this side of heaven, points to the ultimate reality when we will be united with Christ in our resurrected bodies. Lord, I pray that this message, if there's anything from you that's not of you, would be quickly forgotten. But Lord, if there are truths in this message, Lord, that it would settle in the students' hearts that are in this room, that it would give them hope, that it would give them excitement, and it would allow them to live the life that you're calling them to live with boldness, clarity, and determination. Lord, thank you for this day, and I pray that you'd be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.